All right, I have a few announcements before we dive in here. Um, would love uh, for you to be in the know uh, and restore. So you can fill out a connection card there in the programs you grabbed when you came in, or you could fill it out if you download our app, the Restore Church app, you can fill out a connection card electronically. Uh, we send, on average, about maybe two or three emails a month, um, just kind of announcing what's coming up, things to be thinking about, things to put on your schedule. Also want to be praying for you. So if there's things going on in your life, you can fill it out anonymously. Uh, we'd love to be praying for you on, on, on what's happening. And then also, if, if there's anything, I think there's a part on the connection card where if you're, uh, anything you want to learn about, know about, restore, song requests, you can fill that out as well. If you believe in what God is doing in our church, we would ask that you financially support us. You can do that at wearerestore.com, clicking on give, or you can do that through the app as well. And then uh, tonight and tomorrow night, we have our neighborhood collectives gathering. We have two more meetings this summer, so we have one uh, tonight and tomorrow night, and then in two weeks, our neighborhood collectives gather again. So essentially, neighborhood collectives, group of people gather to pray, talk, eat. Uh, These are the themes we see playing out throughout Scripture. It's a place where we actually do sit at a table and enjoy real dinner, not just a bread piece, a little cracker and cup. We have real communion. And it's a great place for you to get more connected to Restore if you're new. Uh, It's a great place if you've been Restore for a while to get your soul fed through community and discussion and prayer. And then it's also a great place to invite newcomers to because let's be honest, church gatherings aren't for everybody. This is not, when someone thinks about investigating or, or if, if they have a curiosity about God or church, a lot of times nowadays, it's not a church service that they want to come to. They want to talk with someone they know and have a relationship with. And so Neighborhood Collective is a great thing to invite them to. Uh, we're also celebrating the fact that we just completed our four-week workshop uh, to serve City of Refuge. Uh, we did English lessons every Wednesday night at the living room. We, we averaged around 25 or 30 refugees, uh, Central and South American refugees that came to that. It was a, I think it was a resounding success. Uh, Lenise is uh, the head of City Refuge, and she has been texting me every week, like, please continue this. Please continue. Please continue. So we're, I said, we will. We will. We're, we're going to figure out what that looks like. Um, I, I wrote the, the lessons for four weeks, and I forgot how time-consuming it is to write lesson plans. I was like, wow. So we're going to look for some curriculum, but it's something that it was a great start to us serving them in a very tangible way, and we're excited about that. Next Sunday, if you're on the Kid City team or the environment team, or you want to serve and restore, we're having a dinner after our church gathering here at the living room, just a couple blocks away. If you want to know, get, uh, like serve and restore, get to know more people, free food, we're even going to have some fun, we got some childcare for the kids, we're going to have an adult scavenger hunt. Um, I, I don't know, maybe it'll be like, go drink a beer at every bar in Silver Spring. I, I don't know if that's one of the items or not, but who knows what will happen. Uh, it'll be a good time. I hope you come next week. If you want to know more about that and you don't have heard any details, give us your email so we can get that info to you on your connection card. And um, I think that's about it. We're going to dive in. There's a resource I've been using for the series we've been working through. Uh, I've been quoting it. Um, you know, grabbing tidbits from it. It's a, it's a small ebook called What Are the Spiritual Gifts by J.D. Myers. There's a lot of books out there. Um, how you view scripture is really important because people read the same passages and come to completely different conclusions. And so it's really important to me whenever I look at a resource that I, I try to I find what I think is a, a, a scholarly angle, a historically 
accurate contextual angle to what the spiritual gifts are. In this case, we're doing a series on the spiritual gifts. And I liked JD's perspective on that. It's simple. It's short. It's concise. I didn't agree with everything in there, but there was enough in there that I grabbed a bunch of stuff. Um, Anybody watch the World Cup today? All right. That was exciting. I scared my kid. Any pretty much any time I watch a World Cup, I scare my kids because I yell whenever because the goal is scored. There's like one goal a game, and when it happens, you're like, "Whoa!" Like you freak out. And I did that and scared William. He wasn't watching it. He was researching roller coasters on Google or something. Um, that was what he was into today. Um, it's a beautiful game, though. It's like to watch. It is truly soccer is the beautiful game. And um, there was one in particular play that I was mesmerized by. Rose Lavelle scored the second goal. And I've been watching her all tournament because every time I watch her, I'm amazed at how fast she is. I can't believe, like when she gets into open space, it just looks like she's operating in another gear than the other players. I'm like, that, I want to know, like, what's her 40 time? I want to see her at the NFL Combine running and seeing if she can, it just seems like she's running Mach 6. And I just am amazed at, like, when you look at watch these women play, the natural gifting they have for the game, obviously they've worked incredibly hard to get to that stage, but there's a natural gift, physical gift, to play the game of soccer or to be athletic or to run that fast or to kick, kick that hard. Um, but there's more to life than just these natural gifts that God's given us. Many of us have different talents and natural gifting, but there's another level, and that's what we're talking about in this series called Brilliant, is how God has supernaturally given us gifts that either we don't recognize or maybe we have and we don't want. And that's what the spiritual gifts are. And as Christians, um, we're going to kind of pull on this thread that we see in, in Scripture and just kind of see where it takes us over the coming weeks. And frankly, it's a thread talking about the spiritual gifts that a lot of churches don't talk about, either because, um, well, mainly because some churches think they're dead. Uh, they, they think this is like a thing of the past. I don't. You can arrive at your own conclusion. Um, but I think there is something at work here. And when we activate and we recognize and we um, empower the spiritual gifts that we see in each other, something incredible and, and, and beautiful and brilliant happens within the church and within the world. And stuff starts to shine through. So that's where we're headed over the coming four weeks. We've already done two weeks. We're going to continue it throughout July. And these gifts that God has given us are meant to fit together like a puzzle would be put together. Truly embracing each gift and honoring and empowering and and, um, respecting the variety that God has given uh, to to humanity and to the church. And this is when these are activated, this is where the church moves away from being like an institution and into a movement. And and that's what we hope for as a church. So I'm going to read... There's a, a few different sections in scripture that talk about spiritual gifts. I'm going to read the more, more, most popular one, and it's lengthy. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 27. So I'm going to read the whole thing, all right? Buckle up. Here we go. Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith 
by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, do I, not, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. That was a mouthful. That was a lot. Um, you, you, there, there are themes that we're going to grab out of that, but before we get there, I love the way that Dallas Willard summarizes the spiritual gifts. He says a spiritual gift is a particular function in which supernatural power is exercised. And to summarize what Paul says here, uh, there's three points I want to make. First, spiritual gifts aren't inherently natural, but they are given as an empowerment by the Holy Spirit. They're not possible by just mere natural effort. They are distributed by God, his spirit. So if you go back and look at the creation account of Genesis, um, the spiritual gifts are not mentioned because everything was perfect, all right, at first. Everything was as it should be. These gifts are given in addition to biology and genetics, all right, later on. These are supernatural gifts designed to bring the earth and humanity back into order, back into balance with one another and with God. They're only given to humanity after the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. He gives us the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit gives us these gifts. So second, Paul reveals why they exist. All right, in summation of chapter 12, they exist for the growth and the health and the unity of the church. So later in a different chapter, he reveals they also exist to bring more people into relationship with Christ. So when people see the church, like these gifts activated within the church, and people witness that, or they experience it, and they get a taste of it, they may not be able to like, have you ever had something that tastes really good and you have no idea what's in it? All right. I was reading a book by this chef recently. And I got to get to New York City and try these things because I love foie gras. Um, I know that puts me on a really bad list with animal rights activists, but um, he makes these foie gras uh, like biscuits and all these ingredients that go in it. And I'm like, I know if I bit into that, I would have no idea what's in it. 
but I'm sure it would taste amazing. And we've all experienced dishes like that. When people come into contact with a church where these gifts are activated and empowered and they get a taste of it, they may not be able to understand, oh, that's God or that's the Spirit, but they know they're enjoying it. All right? They want more of it. They want to be around it. And that's what Paul is saying. And then third, he emphasizes that the gifts should not be neglected or compete with one another. All right? The world is filled with competition. All right? it, it's everywhere. The church is not. There, there is no competition within the church. He also alludes to the fact that you may have gifts that you don't want. All right? He, he, the Spirit may give you things that you know, I don't want to do that. And that's why Paul emphasizes it's, it's for the common good. It's for something greater. You're submitting your life to the Spirit and, and to, to Christ's kingdom. And he takes the, the focus off the individual, which is really hard for us because we are a very individualistic culture. And he consistently reminds the Corinthians, this is for the communal good. All right, this isn't just for you. So recognizing and activating your spiritual gifts is an act of submission uh, and, and recognition of God's authority in your life. So over the coming weeks, we're going to attempt to define these gifts, consider how the Spirit intends to use them, and also be aware of the shadow side of the gifts, of, of what we need to be, like, what if this gift gets away from the Spirit and we just start using it outside of that? What, is, what, what do we have to be careful about? It would do us all well to consider how these gifts might play out um, in our church, in your workplace, your neighborhood, your friendships, your marriage, your family. Consider these gifts, these are like tools in the hands of you, the minister. You're all ministers. If you're a follower of Christ, you're a minister. Ordained, boom, you're ready. All right? So these gifts that you have, whatever they are, whether it's five of them or 15 of them, these are like tools in your tool belt all right, as you walk through life. So I spent some time categorizing the spiritual giftings because there's 26 of them. It's hard to narrow these down. And so I try to categorize them based on some... Um, just kind of how they fit together. And last week, we talked about the physical gifts. This week, we're going to talk about the practical gifts. But here are all of them. Here is what I call the heavenly gifts. Discernment, faith, miracles, interpretation, and tongues. All right? These are kind of the, the gifts that are, are kind of mysterious. And there's really no... It's hard to kind of pin down what they are and see them in action. Practical, what we're talking about today. Giving, administration, leadership, knowledge, and wisdom very tangible gifts that we can see and feel and touch a lot of the times. Physical. So we talked about this uh, two weeks ago. Service, craftsmanship, creative communication, healing, and helping. And then I deemed this next group the next level gifts because I think they're a, a level up. Um, I feel like the, a lot of the times these are the gifts that um, are given in, in, in rarity and might be gifts that people resist. Martyrdom, obviously. No one wants to die. Um, voluntary poverty, celibacy, and prophecy. We're going to talk about that the last week. Because I, I I'm like, okay, i got to gear up for that one. That's like, this is heavy stuff. And then the relational gifts. Mercy, exhortation, hospitality, teaching, and apostleship. All right, so one aspect of each gift I want to explore throughout this series is how, do, how does each gift have a supernatural effect on the world. I want us to start to like recognize these in action. So giving is the first spiritual gift we're going to talk about today. It's to cheerfully and unconditionally share material resources with abundance. Given without ulterior motives or conditions attached, 
as to how the money or resource should be spent. So typically, someone who lives on very little of their income in order to give most of it away. That, that, if you think, if you know anybody like that, they probably have the spiritual gift of giving. So I start thinking about people, <clears throat> and I immediately think about our partners in Katerini, Greece. Uh, we've been serving uh, Syrian and Afghan Middle Eastern refugees for the last four years at Restore. And we have some partners in Katerini, which is out, outside of Thessaloniki. Their names are Antigonus and Mural. I think I got a few pictures to show you of them. Um, they live in Katerini, and they're co-workers of mine at Servant Group International. And they're giving their lives to aid Middle Eastern refugees who are seeking asylum in Greece. They live on, uh, they live almost at poverty level. They live on very little income. And what they do have, they give almost all of it away. All right. They even built a temporary awning in their yard so that their Muslim friends have a place to hang out, eat, and socialize. Because most of these Muslim refugees are living like three families to a one-bedroom apartment. They have no space to just hang. They have no money to go to a restaurant or coffee shop to just hang. And so they're like, hey, we'll build this structure so you're protected from the shade and you can come be in our, at our place. And, and I'm just amazed that they would do that. Um, we're, leading it, we're going on another trip in a month to partner with Antigonus and Mural. I'm leading that trip to serve refugees. When I was in college, <clears throat> we were required to attend chapel. I was not a fan. In fact, three of the four years I was there, I was on chapel probation, which is what you get if you skip chapel. I skipped a lot and then therefore was forced to go and they make you sit in the front row and you have an assigned seat and then someone comes around with a clipboard and checks your name off and it was kind of a humiliating experience and I never really enjoyed it because mainly because it was just boring right it was like someone would get up there and they would they kind of say the token line about religion or Christ or church and I'm like yeah I've heard this a million times this one particular chapel gathering Man comes up, they introduce him. He looks like just all the other um, men or women that have, uh, you know, I'm forming preconceived judgments about it. Like, this is going to be another boring teaching. And it was the complete opposite of that. He brought complete fire. Everything he said was extremely offensive um, to, to most people in the room. I loved it. I was like, this guy is amazing. <laughs> He cussed a couple times. I'm like, I'm in. I'm, I'm digging this guy. Uh, his name was Tony Campolo, and at that time, he was a spiritual advisor to President Clinton. And uh, anytime you're around, you know, a bunch of Republicans, and they found that out, they would be mad anyway. Uh, but then all, he, was, he was critiquing, like, materialism and privilege and American prosperity. And I'm like, whoa. I'd never heard anybody like him. So I started list, like, looking him up. Uh, I eventually started listening to his podcast years later. And he said something in a podcast <clears throat> that stuck with me because I thought it was really impactful. He said early on in his marriage, him and his wife decided upon an income that they needed to live on. And as they grew in age and stature and income, they maintained their level of living with that predetermined income. And no matter how high their income got, they gave all above that number away to where they were living off like 25% of their income. Um, later on in life. And I, that blew me away. I'd never heard anything so radical. And so it was kind of like I heard him preach it, and then I heard him like actually living that out. And I'm like, that's the spiritual gift of giving. And imagine the kind of supernatural impact that commitment would have. When I think of a spiritual gift of giving, I think of Antigonus and Mural. I think of the Campolos 
and I think about what would the church be like if we had that spirit, kind of spiritual gift of giving activated, where it was just radical, uh, supernatural sharing of resources and income, just completely unleashed. Now, the shadow side to be aware of, if you do have this, is giving too much, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll clarify that, or letting conditions and motives creep in to your giving. So in regards to giving too much, uh, there can be a temptation to pour out and to pour out and to pour out and to give and give and give and never refill, like never take the time. And that's why God gave us stuff like Sabbath, like a day of rest, because he knows we can't just go, 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 pour, pour, pour. We need to be, the only way we can do that supernaturally is if we pause and rest and engage and receive and fill back up. All right. And that's what, so if we're not practicing Sabbath, and resting and engaging with God and refilling our minds and our hearts, our supernatural impact of giving is going to be drastically affected. All right, we've all probably experienced burnout or like you've reached your limit in something. Another thing to be wary of is giving with strings attached, like emotional strings or actual strings attached, like, hey, you need to pay that back. Um, We have to be wary of when we give to someone with our resources, with our money, that we're not giving with anything attached to it. Resist that temptation. Uh, The second spiritual gift is administration. To guide and steer a group toward God-given goals through the use of planning, strategy, organizing, and supervising others. They're not typically the visionary or the dreamer, but can hear it or grasp a vision and supernaturally understand the steps needed to make progress toward that vision. So this pretty much describes any experience I've had at Chick-fil-A. All right, any other Chick-fil-A? Like, you walk into Chick-fil-A, and it is a well-oiled machine. Or you drive through Chick-fil-A. Their drive through experience is like heaven on earth. I mean, you don't even have to hardly talk. It's like they read your mind. They got the tablets out. It's like boom, boom, boom. You're through the line. Your food is there. That, when I see, like, Chick-fil-A in action, it is the ultimate in fast food experience, I think, Spiritual gift of administration. Like, I feel like that is a requirement to be a manager or an owner at Chick-fil-A because it's clear something, hap- something special is happening there administratively. Or a couple years ago, on one of our trips to Greece, I had the privilege of having Stephen Lambert on that trip. And Stephen very quickly showed me he has a spiritual gift of administration because whatever our ideas and thoughts were for the day, he would have this amazing natural way of, like, quickly strategizing a plan of action and everybody was like yeah that's that sounds really good and like we all felt like really comfortable and like trust like it was just amazing and he was just telling me about his strategy for the fourth of july fireworks if you are going down to the national mall ever in the near future for the fireworks talk to that guy all right he'll let you know all the strategies and the path to get there safely so you can enjoy your experience but we've all we probably can think of someone like that where you've seen like wow how do they I know the strategy and the, and the path and the, and the ways to do something effectively. <clears throat> it's because God's given them the spiritual gift of administration. And God worked through that. Especially in, like, you know, I was talking about Stephen in Athens. When we go to Athens, it's one of the more dangerous cities in Europe. Uh, I think it's like the capital of the human trafficking. That particular trip, we lost a trip member one night. That was terrifying. Um, and when you have someone with the spiritual gift of administration, it creates structure and comfort and safety in the midst of chaos. That can be a really important thing. Like a calm in the midst of the storm 
kind of thing. Now, the shadow side of that is that um, administration as a gift is only supernatural if you make space for unseen steps to occur, if you are ready to adapt to this, the shifting of circumstances or the shifting of the spirit. Like immature administrators can box in God and try to control too much. All right, plans and strategies can't be too rigid. Administrators can also forget to let the spirit lead. And I know many of you are in occupations that require administrative gifting. I would ask you, do you pray over your daily workplace, your daily administration strategy planning? Are you bathing that? Are you asking the spirit to not just like come alongside, but to actually lead what you're doing? And it doesn't matter where you work. Right? We can't compartmentalize God to just an hour on a Sunday or to neighborhood collective or to only people who are Christians. God wants to work through those gifts every second of the day. And administrators have this uh, amazing gift. And when they bring, not only bring the Holy Spirit into it, but ask the Spirit to lead in those plans and those strategies, whew, man, God is unleashed in a really beautiful way. And then the third one is leadership. The ability to motivate and inspire action and change in people. People enjoy following because they trust. So last year I felt like God was leading me to potentially work part-time at Servant Group International, uh, which is an org that uh, has led our trips to serve Muslim refugees in the past. They've been doing it for like 35 years. I felt like I wanted to get more involved. Carrie pushed me like, hey, you need to call him and talk to him. I really liked our trip leader, Lisa, who worked for Servant Group. We had a lot of chemistry. Um, as the talks furthered, I knew I would need to meet other members of the SGI team, including my potential boss, Dave Dillard. Uh, any of you who have interviewed or considered a position know how big of a deal a boss is, all right? A boss can, like, ruin your job like this every day. You're dreading it. Or a boss can make, like, you know what? I may not like the job so much, but, man, I love working for this supervisor or this boss. So I knew that's a big deal, and I knew the chemistry had to be there for me to even consider and for them to consider me as well. And so Carrie and I went to Nashville in October and we stayed with Dave and his wife, Robin. And within 24 hours, I knew like I'm coming to work for him if they offer me the job, like I'm in um, because of Dave's leadership ability. Uh, I felt like he had a supernatural gifting of leadership. Um, the, the, yeah, him and Robin are people who inspire action, but that's not what made it supernatural. What separated them was their humbleness. I knew quickly I can trust these people. There's no agenda here. All right, Dave has almost this like shrug your shoulders kind of quality. Like, hey, here's what I think we should do. And if people don't like come along, he's like, okay. Like there's a peaceful, like he does there's not this like desperate grabbing of like, come do this, come follow. He just was like, this is what I feel like we should do. And there's a total peace about it. There was no cult of personality. There was no ego, no pride. I'm like, man. I, I would follow him anywhere, and I knew that I, that, that was a, a kicker. And I think of, like, when I think of leadership, <clears throat> I think of Ian Howard, our student ministry uh, director, and his leadership specifically in the area of student ministry, which we're launching this month in two weeks. Pray for him, all right? Anybody work for teenagers? Pray for that man, all right? Pray for him. We've got two teen, like, coming up teens that are, that are starting this with him. Starting something is both exhilarating and terrifying, and so pray for their, their actions and, their, and his leadership as, as to what's coming up. And then the shadow side of leadership, <clears throat> um, 
you've got to beware of the uh, cult of charisma. I feel like this is something um, we have to be, anybody who has the spiritual gift of leadership has to be really careful with. Uh, people with the spiritual gift of leadership have two main temptations that I see. One is to bully others into following me. That's what I do. Um, or manipulating others into following. Like, so people who have this gift on a natural level tend to, and if it's outside of the reins of like the Holy Spirit, they tend to lead by bullying or lead by manipulating. And we have to be, those are the shadow sides of leadership. And this is why <laughs> I don't think the spiritual gift of leadership can be active in the institutions of government. Hot take. All right. <laughs> Because bullying with either physical force or emotional force and manipulation are required in positions of power. Historically, that's what we see. So as we enter the 15 months or so of the election season, I am so excited about it. I'm not. I can't stand it. As we enter this, it's important as a countercultural movement that remember there's a big difference between the Christian spiritual gift of leadership and what we're going to see play out in the debates and in the elections and in our government, all right? And I'm not done critiquing that. You're going to have to hear that for like the next 15 months, all right? So just bear with me, put up with it. Um, it's important, though, that we differentiate between what spirit-filled leadership looks like and what unnatural charisma, cult of personality leadership looks like. The fourth gift, knowledge, to seek to learn as much about a particular subject as possible through the gathering of information and analysis of data. I feel like I'm speaking about a lot of people in this room. All right, an ability to synthesize various streams of thought into coherent understanding. Typically find new, perspective as new perspectives in which to view a subject that is often helpful to others. I find this, now, I, I, I think that a lot of people in this room have this spiritual gift, but I also find the spiritual gift to be increasingly rare in our culture. This particular gift is desperately needed in the church and in our, um, because there are power structures that have clouded our ability to understand the world. Um, in other words, it's impossible to be objective or extremely difficult to be objective. So thankfully, we have the supernatural gift of knowledge in which the Spirit can work through this, breaking down these power structures that exist that force like these blinders onto people, all right, who take in knowledge with these blinders on. So examples would be like racism, sexism, patriarchy, all right, the cheap version of grace that our culture has called tolerance. Like these are all power structures that exist, and we need the spiritual gift of knowledge to bring them down so that we see a more holistic scope of the way the world is supposed to be and the way that humanity is supposed to be in relationship with each other and relationship with God. And when the spiritual gift of knowledge is unleashed in the church through a Christological lens, that's when power structures start to like shake and start to crumble. And it's beautiful to watch. But it's really, it's increasingly rare. And that's why we need these to be unleashed. So a close relative of knowledge is wisdom, our final spiritual gift, to apply knowledge in such a way that it becomes highly relevant and impactful. Typically very good in counseling situations and advice. Have a supernatural ability to convey God's wisdom into earthly lives. So the shadow side of that um, is applying knowledge from your experience and not the movement of the Spirit. 
Have you ever shared like a difficult circumstance or story with someone and their first response is, yeah, I can relate because this, and they start telling you about this whole thing that has, they think relates to what you're going through and you're like, just shut up. Like that's what what you're saying internally. You're like, okay, stop talking. This isn't making me feel better. But that's like a go-to advice is to try to relate to people from your experience. And I'm not saying that's bad all the time. I'm just saying, take a breath and think about what, does, what is really going to be wise? What is this person, what's going to comfort this person? What is going to lead them or guide them in a way that's going to be helpful or refreshing for them? That they, when they hear it, they're going to think, oh, you know, it's going to be kind of a light bulb moment. That's, what we, that's the spiritual gift of wisdom is when the spirit is speaking and not us from our personal experience necessarily. Because the Holy Spirit is known as the great comforter in Scripture. So when you face someone who has a circumstance going on and you can tell they're looking for advice or they're looking for steps to take and they're kind of lost right now, it, it, taking a beat and thinking about, okay, how, how would the Spirit comfort this person right now? That's when the spiritual gift of wisdom gets activated. So as we, we've briefly defined and talked through each of these, do you sense God leading you and one or more of the practical gifts that we just talked about. My continual hope is that you would respond to the Spirit's prompting, that action and movement would follow, because this is the essence of discipleship and faith, and this is what ignites or continues a movement, which is what I hope our church continues to be. So let's pray, and we're going to sing one more song.